I'll just tell you the truth right now. Today's episode is gonna be a little different. This is the first in a new series called Footnotes. Think of these as addendums to our regular episodes. We are gonna share scenes that didn't make the final cut, answer your questions about specific plot points, and air conversations with experts who can put the stories of our episodes within a larger historical context. So today we're doing the footnotes for the Darbar incident, episode number one. Quick recap, there was a coronation ceremony for King George in 1911 called the Delhi Darbar. And the crux of our episode was whether Saiji Rao Gaikwar III, the Maharaja of Baroda, was intentionally committing sedition when he arrived at the Darbar underdressed and when he bowed just once. But we left you with a little bit of an ambiguous ending as to whether Saiji Rao was being intentionally subversive, and if so, what his motivations were. Some of you were not so happy about that. We got a few emails, Instagram DMs. So today, we're going to get you a more definitive answer. I recently spoke with historian and critically acclaimed author Manu Bhagavan. Manu currently serves as a professor of history, human rights, and public policy at Hunter College, and he also is the senior fellow at the Ralph Bunch Institute for International Studies. We had read one of his papers when conducting research for the episode, so I was really excited to get his take on the incident. We also talked about the larger context of the Darbar and why the British were so scared of Saiji Rao. Okay, let's get right into it. What is your opinion on the incident? Was Saiji Rao trying to send a message at the Darbar? In a nutshell, the way he dressed and his actions, which overall were relatively speaking minor transgressions, were purposeful. They were not forgetful. Now we know this actually because his grandson said as much. Here Manu is referring to a book Saiji Rao's grandson wrote in which he recounted a conversation that Saiji Rao had had with his prime minister. But the prime minister isn't the only one who spoke with Saiji Rao at the Darbar. One of the other attendees was Motilal Nehru, a prominent member of the Indian National Congress and father of the first prime minister of India. When the Darbar begins, Motilal has a prime seat. Guess who he's sitting next to? Maharaja Saiji Rao Gaikwad of Baroda. And so the two of them have a conversation and Saiji Rao asks Motilal what he thinks of the whole event. And Motilal responds that he thinks it's a grand tamasha, meaning a, a fantastic show. It's the scene to be at. Then Motilal asks Saiji Rao what he thinks. And Saiji Rao says, oh, yeah, it's a pretty big spectacle. It's a pretty interesting event. It's just too bad that we're all asked to basically perform as if we're in a circus. I'm paraphrasing, but he definitely uses the word circus. And so that's a clear indication that he resents being compelled to be an actor in this performance. He's very purposefully not following the protocols. This is not incidental. It's not, I gave my pearls to my son. Now, as for the rest of it, the the bowing and all, I think that part is blown out of proportion. That is not something he necessarily meant anything by. Why do you say that? We know that what he did was not that different from what several other of the rulers did. As you note in the podcast, there's a bunch of films that are made. One is a company called Gaumont and a couple of the other films make a film clip and it's called the Darbar Incident. And then they broadcast this all over. They're not depicting Saiji Rao at all. 
They're depicting the Maharaja of Mysore. The film is showing the wrong thing altogether. And what that means is that they were confused when they were looking for the incident. They couldn't find it because there likely wasn't anything substantial there. And so all of this seems more concocted. He's accused of not bowing properly to the queen, but he had a perfectly fine relationship directly with the royal family. Several months before the Delhi Darbar, King George is coronated in London at Westminster Abbey. Guess who's there? Saiji Rao Gaikwad. And then subsequently, they have a, a private gathering in Buckingham Palace. Guess who's there? Saiji Rao Gaikwad III. I don't think he intended to necessarily offend the monarchs directly. This was about British colonialism in India. Uh, this was about the administrative structure. And this was about the way in which the princes were treated in India, but he didn't want to veer into something actually seditious. Right. So one of the pieces of evidence we mentioned in the podcast that supports this idea that the incident was intentional was about the previous Tharbar. This was not Sayaji Rao's first rodeo. He knew how things worked. He had been at the 1903 Darbar and had gone through the entire procession without a hitch. But there's actually even more to that story, which further suggests Sayaji Rao's actions were intentional. Could you talk about what happened at the previous Darbar? In 1903, there's the second Delhi Darbar for the coronation of Edward. Now, Edward does not come, but his brother, the Duke of Connaught, does. Saiji Rao Gaikwad is invited to participate in a very special procession on elephant to the grounds. Saiji Rao gets the invitation and he responds, thank you very much, but I don't think so. I don't feel like riding on an elephant and no. And then they wrote back and they tell him, your highness, we have received your message and, and thank you for sharing with us your views, but may we just remind you that we're really not asking and that you in short, we'll ride this elephant. So Saiji Rao then responds, oh, I, I didn't really realize that this was what you were saying. Of course, I will be there. So he shows up and it comes time for the procession. And guess what? Saiji Rao is not part of the elephant procession. And why isn't he part of the elephant procession? Because he makes a claim at the last moment that his mother had recently died and he was still in mourning and therefore he could not be expected to ride the elephants, and to take place in this important part of the ceremony. Understanding that context, we could view his actions as almost artfully subversive. Besides the Darbars, what are the other examples of this kind of sophisticated resistance to the British Raj? One of the earlier viceroys of India was a man named Lord Karzan. He and Saiji Rao had a terrible relationship. And that terrible relationship kind of began in 1900. Saiji Rao was abroad in Europe on a trip with his wife. They were abroad for, for health reasons. This was not uncommon. Wealthy people from all over the world would make trips to places in Europe for climate and for access to various things which were seen as having health benefits. While they were abroad, Curzon released a circular. It came to be known as the Curzon Circular. And what it said was that it was going to tamp down on the freedoms of Maharajas and Indian rulers, and it would prevent them from doing things like traveling at their will, because this was all seen as very wasteful and that they were more interested in their personal luxuries than in 
being practical rulers. This was the claim. But this circular, when it came out, the press immediately gave two examples of the worst offending Maharajas in the country. And one of them was Baroda. Sayaji Rao did not take kindly to this. Sayaji Rao decided to exact his revenge by hosting a reception for the viceroy. Now, that might not sound like what you would do for someone you're mad at, but the catch here was that Sayaji Rao was not going to be in Baroda at that time. He was still going to be in Europe. So it was a giant snub to be like, oh, I'll host you a party, but it's not important enough for me to be there. Curzon caught on very quickly. Curzon said, well, you won't be there, so no, I'm not going to come. But you know what? Let's reschedule. Let's do it for November when you'll be back in the state. Yes, yes, great. So they set the whole thing up. And then Saiji Rao just stays in Europe. And then that's a way of not having this reception. I think you can see that Saiji Rao gets away with resistance by playing within the rules and not necessarily admitting it. But Saiji Rao's resistance went beyond just parties and ceremonies, right? Could you speak about the times when Saiji Rao was involved with activists from the independence movement? In 1909, the aide-de-camp to the Secretary of State for India is assassinated by uh, a member of what's known as the India House in England. Britain warns Saiji Rao that he needs to be on the lookout for sedition in his state. And he sits on this for a little bit, and then he responds by saying, "Um, you know, I'm really not sure of the extent of this, but thank you for bringing this to my attention. Some parts of the nationalist press in India respond very favorably. And they say, look, this is the way you treat this nonsense. And the British press then pick up on this and say, Saiji Rao is someone we need to watch. He's someone who might be harboring seditionists. Now, right before the Delhi Darbar, two officers in the Baroda administration are accused of sedition by the British resident. Now, what has happened? Why are these two officers accused of sedition? In essence, some pamphlets are found in Bombay, which are Aurobindo's writings. Aurobindo was an Indian freedom fighter, philosopher, and writer. They were published in a district in Baroda. They had covers which indicated they were about vegetables, but in fact were about how to bring down the colonial government. And so they... They, being the British resident then went to the district official there and said, what's going on here? And the district official said, what are you doing here? You have no authority to conduct any inquiry. This is the princely state of Baroda. And without the authorization of the Maharaja, you should not be conducting an inquiry. And they apologized. They said, you know what? You're right. And then they accused this district official of Uh, conspiracy and of obstruction of justice, of of hampering investigation. Now it was up to Saiji Rao to determine their punishment. Saiji Rao looked into the matter and he decided that he wasn't going to take any serious action. He was just going to transfer them. I mean, these are two people who are being accused of a serious crime by British officials, and he doesn't take any serious action against them. I think that's also very telling. So, Saiji Rao clearly is not in favor of answering to the British. I'm interested in how we should view him in the larger context of the anti-colonial movement. As we mentioned a little bit in the podcast, 
He was a relatively progressive ruler in terms of women's rights and free education and civic and social infrastructure. And at the same time, he also fed into some of these stereotypical Maharaja tropes of splurging on all of the luxuries and spending months, if not years, at a time in Europe. So given these differing dimensions, how should we view him as a ruler? And is that term progressive? Is that, is that accurate? Is that anachronistic? It's not anachronistic to call him progressive. He was called progressive in his time. As part of his early reforms, he helps establish a legislative council in Baroda, which is a democratic forum. He speaks by the early 20th century against the princely order. He uses the term national to refer to the subcontinent as a whole more than almost anyone in the princely order. I think you make note of this uh, in the podcast as well. He patronizes the arts. He supports a whole range of important figures in the anti-colonial movement. And then most importantly, everything he does in his state, all the reforms themselves are part of this resistance because he says, look, the British claim to be here because they say that they're going to deliver X, Y, and Z, which natives cannot do. And I'm here to tell you, Saiji Rao says, that not only can we do it, but that we can do it better than the British and indeed better than anywhere else in the world. And the best example of this has to do with his libraries. The library movement is being pioneered with funding from Andrew Carnegie in the United States. And he brings an expert uh, from there to help him. And then the American expert says that what Baroda has done exceeds even what the United States has done. I had to look this up later and was blown away. During Saiji Rao's reign, an entire statewide free public library system was created. It included a central state library, one library for each of the four districts, 45 town libraries, and then more than 1,000 libraries in different villages. And all of these individual libraries were interconnected. And so these are examples of how pioneering he really is and what he's able to accomplish. And this ultimately, more than the Darbar incident and more than anything else, is the threat to the British Empire. It's the very idea that the empire is not necessary, that it does not need to be there to deliver anything because the local populations are completely capable of making their own decisions and of, of taking actions to design world-class modern institutions, and that this modernity in the subcontinent is not a replication of a Western kind of modernity, that it is very indigenous. It's its own thing. And, and that gap is what I think is perceived as threatening. And that is what's, I think, behind the visceral reaction to the Darbar incident and why it becomes such a big deal for the British and in the press. The Darbar incident essentially boils down to a moment of an important and self-assured figure with a fair amount of power, prestige, and protection deciding to signal his unhappiness and to lightly thumb his nose at the ridiculousness of the whole thing that is then blown into something much bigger because of this larger narrative behind those actions. We want to give a huge thank you to Manu Bhagavan for accepting our invitation and taking the risk of being our first guest. Before we wrap up, I want to tell you about another podcast that I think you might enjoy. 
Redefining ABCD is hosted by Kirti Sekar and Sneha Amea. On each episode, they bring guests of South Asian American descent to explore how each guest views their careers and goals through their unique hyphenated identity. You can find Redefining ABCD on the podcast app you are using right now. So, dear listener, what did you think of this footnotes episode? Should we do a footnotes for the Myth of the Pink City episode? Hit us up on Instagram or Twitter or email us to let us know your thoughts. This episode was produced by me, Nikki Agarwal, with production assistance from Hanisha Harjani and Ranvijay Singh. In addition, Hanisha and Ranvijay performed their usual roles of sound engineering and fact-checking, respectively. Misrepresented is part of the Gahani Project, a storytelling project to put the world back in world history. To learn more, visit gahani.io slash misrepresented. 